Welcome to the Crazy Cool Family Podcast with Don and Suzanne Manning. Parents, what if we could give you the power to transform your family into something absolutely amazing? A family where everyone is healthy, gets along, loves Jesus, and has great purpose in life. Hey, let us flip your thinking to unlock the power God has given you to create your own Crazy Cool Family. Welcome to the Crazy Cool Family Podcast. Don and Suzanne Manning, we are in our series called Who Knows Your Kid Best? And we are going through all of our children this summer, all seven of them, and talking to them about how they were parented. We're talking to them about relationships with their siblings and all this. And today we finally, we've gotten through all the girls. And so now we go to the first, our oldest child, Michael. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. We are excited to, to have Finally, we, we, Michael, I get to, I've, I've been doing girls for all summer. Now I get to switch over to the boys. So well, and that's super- how life, that's how life was too. You had done girls for ever. Let's see, we were born in, we were married in 91. So you'd almost done girls for a full decade. And then Michael was born in 2000. And so that was kind of like, you've done girls all summer. You also did girls for pretty much a full decade. Full decade, yes. And then Suzanne, you might want to just comment on, so Michael, the story of the bur- of Michael coming into existence and how we found out he was a boy and how it was just transformational for our family. Oh, yeah, I would say that Michael, and we say this all the time, that he was worshipped and adored as a little boy. Absolutely. We had gone and I'd gone in and I had all the little girls with me and we went to get the sonogram and Don wasn't there for some reason. I just, I think it was just like, a, oh, let's just do a sonogram and check on him or check on the baby. And we found out that it was a boy and we were just elated. I mean, five women, so excited. We went and bought blue balloons and blue cigar gummy, you know, bubblegum cigars and went to Don's work and came parading in. So, but how did you feel about having a son finally after all those girls? Oh, I never, I never thought I'd have a boy. I mean, we, we just kept having girls and I never thought I'd have a boy. So yeah, I mean, super excited. And um, it was, um, and then, you know, so Michael, let's get to you. So we have this boy. How do you feel about being a boy? How do you feel about boy? <laughs> yeah, let's not start on that question. <laughs> um, yeah, we get uh, in big trouble there. <laughs> he really does get worship and adored because there are five women in the house that love babies and, and are so excited about having a boy. Uh, but so um, what are your, I guess, like, what are your first memories of being home? Yeah, being a little, yeah, little. Yeah, I think one of my first memories <clears throat> I had, and I don't, I don't know if it's a memory that I actually had, or if it's just like pictures I've seen from growing up, or if it's just stories that my sisters told me growing up. But it's, I just remember like for some reason all four of my sisters were in our old house that I barely remember, and they would like stack up these cardboard Lego blocks that we had. And they would stack them up to like just as tall as I was. And then and they would have me run through it and I would just like take <laughs> off and run through it and crash the whole thing. And then all of them would cheer and go crazy. It <laughs> was like playing fetch with a dog and they just like never want to stop. I was just like, okay, okay, stack it up again. And then I would run through it and they would cheer and go crazy. And that like, even to this day is something that I think kind of displays childhood for me was any action I did, any sport I played, any 
literally anything I did, I had four cheerleaders that were going berserk and going crazy and cheering me on and everything and everything that I did just because I was the first boy and it was different. Um, and so that's like one of my very first memories I ever have that I think about often. <laughs> yeah. I transitioned that to playing baseball Yeah, and his sisters would come out to the game and they would just be idiots, you know I mean? In the stands, just woohoo, Michael. Just trying to embarrass him, yes. just trying to. Absolutely, absolutely mortifying because <laughs> baseball is a slow, quiet, <laughs> relaxed game. And there are these four obnoxious girls in the stands screaming at every little thing that happens, every pitch, every ball hit towards me, and the whole stadium can hear everything. Yeah, the umpires would recognize it. You were over on third base, and they'd be like, okay, that's weird, you no, know? Like, you got a little fan section, and I was like, yeah, I yeah. know. What do you think, so <laughs> what, what do you perceive growing up your personality like? Yeah, like uh, describe yourself, yeah. yeah. How would you say you would describe yourself? Yeah, um, <clears throat> my, my personality growing up, I think I was definitely pretty – pretty independent and pretty content um kind of kind of how it felt like it paired off in the family is the sisters would hang out molly and madeline were kind of buddy buddies and kinsey and macy were buddy buddies and then maddox and mccade were really buddy buddies and i felt like my role kind of in the middle right there i just i just didn't really need a like a friend like a person or like someone to like play with me all the time i was very content playing by myself I actually preferred and loved to play by myself. I even remember getting Lego sets as a little kid. I like loved, loved Lego sets. And McKenzie would like so bad want to help me build it. <laughs> and, and McKenzie's right above you. McKenzie's so right above me. Yeah, two years. Two years above me. And she's like, can I just like, McKenzie's just being absolutely so caring and loving and wants to support and help in every way. She's like, can I just like help you build it? And I was like, no, this is like, let me just do it by myself. Like, I just want like, I'm like an old man at like age seven. I'm like, I just want some alone time. <laughs> she would like get the pieces and like set them out for me and everything so that I could build them. But by no means could she talk to me while I was happening. <laughs> so the, the beginnings of an introvert. Yeah, uh, very much and, so. And the beginnings of a independent, self-sufficient um, young man. And, you know, one of the things we're talking about a lot is, is so you've got two kids there. And a, a girl and a boy, you know, about the same age, but could not be any more different relationally. Mackenzie, relationship focused, loves relationship. Michael, much more, you know, not that he doesn't love relationships, but, you know, much more independent, much more introverted. Um, how do you parent those kids? You know, what does that look like when you have two very different kids? Well, you you parent them differently. You buy that kid Lego sets and you say, hey, go build this. And then you praise. Wow. Isn't that amazing what you've built? And, um, and I do think that there's a characterization of your childhood as what you said, Suzanne, that Michael was worshiped and adored. Um, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of praise. Do you remember that? I mean, just growing up and, and, and um, we um, really, you talked about sports, sports, a big part of your life in the yeah. young ages. Yeah. I had, um, I think that found foundation of um, really just like affirmation in everything that I did um, allows me today as I'm like seeing the fruit 
of it that I, I walk with a lot of confidence. Yeah. There's not a lot of things. Um, I don't want to sound prideful and some of it is prideful. It's like uh, both sides of this, um, of growing up. That's like this of like any situation I approach, I'm like, I can, I can do it. I can figure it out. Um, and I think that comes from that same image is I'm like, yeah, they're going to set up the boxes. I'm going to tear them down and I'm going to like, they're going to freak out and it's going to be awesome. That kind of a, <laughs> with a lot of that thing, that, that same mindset. Um, and in sports was, it was very similar. I was also held back a year. And so <laughs> being in middle school and being sometimes a full 365 days older than some of those kids, I just like was a little bit taller and a little bit bigger. And that yeah. kind of played into a lot of um, confidence that I had just building up that I think was coming straight from my parents and from my family. Yeah, I think the, the contrast too with Michael and the and the sisters was that like Molly and Madeline and Macy, they're they were flamboyant. They were out there. We've talked about that. Big personalities, they fill up the room. And so it kind of starts sliding down with Mackenzie. But with Michael, like I would say that's the opposite of you. Like when you walk into a room, you don't demand attention but you very much have a presence. And so I just think that dynamic of those big loud sisters who were worshiping and adoring you created this independent foundation for you, but it's not, it was not a show-off. Like you never were a show-off. You never were like, watch me, watch me, watch me. You know, you were just like, you would just do it. And then everybody would just erupt in, oh my gosh, did you see what Michael did? Well, and and do you see a, that in your life today too, Michael, that that's, you don't. Yeah. Madeline, Madeline can take the attention for both of us. Not that, <laughs> not that I'm perfectly, perfectly fine with that. Well, and I remember Michael being a young kid and really having anger issues. We were introducing a, a boy <laughs> into the family. And I think Suzanne, you had us. So, and parents, if you're dealing with your first boy, you know, especially females, Suzanne, you had a sister, that was it. And you'd had four girls and you'd babysitted some, but now you have this boy in your home. And as a young boy, he is demonstrating boyness. And, and um, I, I remember, remember there, was, there was one story, Michael, that, I mean, I and I know the sisters, as much as they worshiped and adored him, they also drove him insane. I mean, because of the way he's wired, introvert, leave me alone, independent. I don't want to be your toy anymore to the sisters. I don't want to be your dolly, your baby. Quit making me dress up like this. I mean, I know the tension that I can look back and see the tension that he was, that he had, and he was feeling. And I, at one point in time, there was one day, I don't know what the sisters did to, to trigger it. I, I don't, I, I, I'm not at all saying it was Michael's fault. I'm completely blaming the sisters fully and completely, probably Macy more so than anybody else. Cause she was the antagonist. She was the brother, the big brother that Michael really needed, you know, to, you know, whip him into shape. But anyway, I just remember him grabbing a knife out of the kitchen and chasing the girls. Yeah. And that just blew my He's mind. Like three years old, three or four oh, years old. Yeah, little. I mean, yeah. little. Like, and I was like, first of all, how did he know where the knives were? Second of all, how did he reach in the drawer and get it? And third, what is it that's happening? And I just remember the girls are all locked in a room. Mom, mom, mom. And I'm like, Michael, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm getting them, mom. I'm getting them. You know, and he took the knife and he's getting the door. He's to the door and I'm having visions of serial killer. No, you know, not really. But I called Don and I'm like, Don, you have to come home. I never tell you, you have to come home. And Don is like, 
uh, Suzanne, calm down. That's a boy. That's a dude. He got triggered. You know, he, I'm like the unacceptable. And he goes, yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely not. I'll talk to him about it. But anyway, do you have any? Yeah. That I like that memory is another one of those memories where I'm like, okay, how much, I think I remember that one a lot more than like the first memory that we talked about. I like can see pictures and I've heard a lot of stories about that, but this one I remember so vividly because I think I was older than three or four, but I don't know how old I was. Maybe 12. Yeah. <laughs> 16. I don't know how old I was. No, no, no. I don't threaten people with knives anymore. <laughs> but I, I like, I can like so consciously, like I remember myself going and like opening the drawer, grabbing the knife and walking to there in the playroom and being like very in control of everything that I was thinking. And I was just like, they've messed with me. But I'm going to scare them. I'm going to scare them. Like, I remember having zero intention of actually hurting or doing anything. Like, I remember being like fairly, if I remember correctly, which memory is faulty, but that I was like pretty calm, cool, and collected. And I was just like, they need to know that like they can't do this or they, they right, just, no. I'm standing my ground and I'm not, I'm not having this anymore. <laughs> but that's not to say there's multiple times that like playing sports that also that situation, I like was banging the door and like poking the knives out the door and like damaged the door. And I remember dad making me stand the door and paint the door because it was like, this is consequences of your actions. Like you can't not do, you can't do you something. Can't destroy like something. Do something. Yeah. It was still wrong. But I remember in the, like, I don't care how calm you were. Yeah. It doesn't matter <laughs> if I just wanted to scare them or not. It doesn't matter. Um, but I remember situations of being so angry. I couldn't control myself, especially like. It, and we uh, were going through, I was playing baseball outside with Maddox one time. And I remember throwing like a, a wiffle ball at, at him just because I was so angry that my little brother beat me in a game of baseball because I oh, wasn't, yeah. wasn't happy. Competitive. That's another, that's another trait we got to put in there that, yeah. Oh yeah. Competitive to a fault. I like to win. Um, it comes straight from Don's line. <laughs> <laughs> Genetics. Yeah. But it, it's a, it's a, it's a scary thing as a kid. And I remember, I remember being scared of, of myself, like knowing what I was doing in my actions and like throwing, it was like a plastic bat, but still throwing at my little brother, seeing the fear in his eyes was like, yes, I got, I got punished for that. But like, I almost punished myself more. Cause I was just like, man, what am I, what am I actually capable of? And I think that's what sports were such a beautiful, such a beautiful thing in my life is that like anger and that energy could be put out towards something and not only that but I could be able to control it and like discipline myself to like there's a point that I like didn't like myself playing basketball and had to stop playing basketball because I couldn't control my actions on the court I didn't like myself essentially Mm -hmm. on the court because I was a jerk and I was like frustrated and I was angry and I like couldn't control my emotions and so there's there's something to be said about creating a safe environment in your home where those emotions are not wrong they're not bad but they can be controlled um especially for young boys because we are little little demons walking around <laughs> <laughs> little <laughs> testosterone balls <laughs> well and, uh, full of testosterone and everything else so let's talk about that you know like- but just trying to find it but just to go back to that for just a second just to take a minute on that because i know we had a we had friends that had five boys and so she was in a in a world of that and so you know parents mamas out there that you that have little boys 
just know that um, part of our roles as they grow up is to show them self-control and to give them examples of self-control and to help them understand that when they lose their self-control, how do you gain it back? And, and what do you do and how do you choose? Like that was such a big thing, Michael, that you chose to stop playing basketball because you saw things in your life that you didn't like that would come out on the basketball court. And I just think that parents, instead of saying, you know, you know, losing your self-control with your child, turning around and just saying, okay, how do we have self-control in this situation? What does self-control look like? And walking them through that and presenting them with options of self-control. I'm so glad you brought that up, Michael. Well, and the basketball was, that was late middle school when you quit that. And, um, you know, so it wasn't like even at a younger age that you did, you recognized it, you know, later in your childhood that that was happening and I'm just curious like so so really we've kind of established this uh this male independent uh full of energy another thing for parents you know boys they tend to play differently than girls in many ways you know and and they need outlets for that energy things like that so when you as you think about growing up um what would you say was um uh that as parents that how we helped nurture that or maybe some things that we did that were frustrating to you in the parenting in the parent to kid relationship for you yeah um i think one thing looking back on my childhood now um is for whatever reason <laughs> for whatever reason y'all always gave me knives like every time i feel like you came back from a mission trip came back from a foreign country. I remember even like in early middle school, mom going out and I was like, I wanted a few new like knives and my like mom just went out and like got them for me, like different kind of knives or like switch blades or I mean, switch blades are illegal, but just like different kind of knives. And even, even when I turned 13, like you took me out to a, like a land, like a hunting lease that we were at and like gave me like a bow. I don't, I don't shoot bows. Like I'm not, I'm not very outdoorsy or like, I, I like hunting and we just don't do it very often. Um, but it was just something so much deeper that I'm like just now connecting 10 years later is like this weapon that y'all entrusted me with as a little kid. And you showed me how to use it. You showed me what it was for. And it's like, they just, they just stood on my shelves. Like I didn't actually use them very little time that I actually go out and use any of the weapons that I got. But it was almost like an initiation of like my heart coming out and being like, especially with the bow. I remember that so particular, so distinctly because it was 13 and it was like, this is a bow. You brought someone in to show us how to shoot it, how to use it, when to use it, why we would use it. And it was just like, the item itself was important, but really it was like, Hey, I'm trusting you with something dangerous. Like this is mm -hmm. something that like awakened my heart as a kid and was like, this is something powerful that you can use, that you can master, that you can have control over. And that right there, like, spoke wonders into my heart and, like, brought me into being something of, like, okay, you're not a little kid. You're a boy now. And really just, like, speaking that out was one thing. I was, like, okay, I think that I think that kind of, like, put hair on my chest. I think that kind of <laughs> just, like, changed my mindset a little bit to stop acting like a child and start acting and thinking like a man. Um, also, whenever you, like, you left the house for extended periods of time, you didn't do it often, but there's times that you went to China and you went to a few places. I was young, like I was young, young, young. And you're like, Michael, you're the man of the house. And I remember thinking, I was like, dad, thank you. But like, if someone comes in, I'm seven years old. 
I'm like, there's nothing I can do here. What does it mean to be the man of the house? And he's like, if anything happens, Michael, you're in charge. And obviously it wasn't literal, but still that like command and that like calling up higher, just like literally, like you can just like see probably me at seven years old, just lift my shoulder and lift my head up a little bit. Cause I was like, yeah, I am. And that was just a few things that I remember of just like call out the, call out the man that's in the boy right now, like call him out because he wants to come out and he wants something dangerous and he wants something exciting and he wants his heart to be alive. And not unfortunately, but it comes from the male. Like it, it can't necessarily come from the female, the, the mom in the relationship. Like it, the, the male, the dad, the fatherly figure is going to have to be the one that initiates his heart and brings him out of boy into manhood. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. But on the flip side of that, the mom can't coddle the little boy. I mean, and it's, that's a real fine line because, oh my goodness, I definitely cuddled you and snuggled you more than I did than all the little girls. I mean, your, your chubby little self, oh my goodness. I mean, you're just a little, I mean, just, uh, just loved that. And so that there were times that it was, I mean, even, even raising like dad was easier. I don't know if you were easier on the girls, but you didn't get the girls and you got the boys. And it felt like to me, you were a little bit harder on the boys because you were calling out that man in them. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was like, no, I'll, I'll do your laundry. And no, 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 I'll empty the trash. No. Yeah. I mean, but I do remember there's times if there's anything involving an animal, then the boys needed to go do it. Like, didn't y'all kill a skunk in the backyard? And if the oh, dead I'm cat sure in the house, you had to bury that. Oh, yeah, I forgot anything. about the armadillo. <laughs> the armadillo yeah I actually did use that bow <laughs> <laughs> in real life yeah um, anyway to get, so I love that to just find opportunities to present to your son to pull out the man in him that's what you're saying and we yeah. we did that a, a few times along the way to solidify that you're you're a man and this is what a man is and this is what a man does and this is how a man leads so um I'd like to ask this question and kind of transition it also into the sibling relationships, but like with your parents and siblings, um, what frustrated you as a, as a growing up with your parents and then subsequently with your siblings? Um, I think, I think growing up and I still value my alone time. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty pe- peculiar, peculiar, particular. That's the word I'm looking for. Pretty particular. I would say you're peculiar too. Pretty, peculiar. <laughs> pretty particular in um, like social settings slash like when I'm feel energized to do something. If you know anything about trying to get an introvert to do something, it can be like pulling teeth. Um, and so I think that was a few things that would frustrate me sometimes or annoy me sometimes is like the sisters or siblings expecting more out of me. And I just didn't have a lot to get energy wise. Um, parent, parenting wise, where do I even begin? Um, with your frustrations? Yeah, where do I begin with my frustrations? So many. <laughs> well, Michael, I mean, just to take a second, Michael is a five on the Enneagram and it, that right there was so helpful. He's the one that led us into the whole Enneagram system once he had got, when you were in college, is that when that happened? Yeah, senior year of high school. Yeah. And he kind of educated all of us on it. And that was so, um, 
oh my goodness, powerfully informative for us to know that he was a five and to learn the type of a five because it did interact so differently with that introvert and that competitiveness and that knowledge and that all the different things that a five represents. So I think if I would have known that is, I don't even know if it even how it shows up as a kid, but I think if I would have known more about him as a kid, then we probably wouldn't have frustrated him as much. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, and we could do a whole another podcast on, on Enneagram and, and all of that nonsense. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was helpful. Fives on the Enneagram are, are known to be the hardest relationally to connect with and, and to get along with. And so it was, it felt very loving and supportive as I introduced it to the family. I was like, essentially what I was telling them was I was like, this is a good way to get to know me and to love me best because I had a hard time. I still have a hard time articulating feelings, articulating things if I'm thinking them and I'm very much in my head. And so I think one thing that y'all did growing up was just like didn't stop pursuing me and I like I would get pretty offensive I pretty get I'd get pretty defensive really quickly um especially those middle school ages when I was just kind of a punk and was doing my own thing and not (laughs) wanting to listen to y'all not wanting to listen to the structures and the rules that you had in place um I think one thing as I'm really trying to think back is I didn't I didn't like commands that didn't have a why behind them um, and I think this is similar for a, a lot of males in particularly is that we like the why and we like the heart behind something. And it's much easier to like, it's much easier to take out the trash whenever you know that trash is going to stink up the house. If you don't take it out in the next couple of days, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll take out the trash instead of just being like, take out the trash. I'm like, you take out the trash. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Or just like little, little things like that is just like, if there's a command, follow it up with what, like why you want that, like fill it up with a need that it's fulfilling. Um, Cause I think men want to be providers and we want to provide. And it was like, it was one of my favorite things getting into, and it still is one of my favorite things to be able to provide for my sisters whenever they are in times of need. Like that just speaks to a part of my heart that is like a core desire to like provide and to take care of my family. Like move Molly into an apartment every August for five years in a row. Yeah, for sure. Like that was just <laughs> something that we did and it was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and speaking of that, um, you know, the frustrations and things sometimes that you and I really, you talking about the middle school years. I mean, you and I had some real frustrations within those middle school years Um you know, explain that a little bit, you know, as you're walking through those years of your life. Yeah, I think those, that, those, those few years were, were, were challenging and it, and it's hard and I'll say, yeah, <laughs> I know, but it was kind of difficult even like kind of feeling like the black sheep of the family, like kind of feeling on the outside of the family of all, um, I was going through probably more difficult things than the rest of the sisters even went through and, and even probably what the brothers have gone through and stuff that I was doing and wasn't ideal. It wasn't God honoring. It wasn't glorifying to the Lord. And, and I knew that, like I, I was raised well, I, I knew what I was doing wasn't right. 
and I felt condemnation. I felt shame, like without even any of my parents knowing anything. And then once they found out more things, I felt like I was met with more condemnation, more punishment, more shame, more just like, I was like, I know, like, you're, it's just like, now you're telling me this and I'm telling myself this. And this is just like more weight than I can even bear. And that like really caused me to like shrill up, caused me to like absolutely stop and get frustrated and defend. Um, and so there's like something to be said amongst the, um, like, it is like the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance and chances are like your kid knows what he's doing. What she's doing is, is wrong. Chances are she or he probably doesn't want to be doing it. Um, and they just don't know maybe how. And so I think before, before there was any like questions of what was happening and how I was doing, it was kind of a freak out moment. I felt like, because this is the first time that you're experiencing any of this, like first time you're experiencing uh, a kid going through any sort of difficulty, a boy going through this kind of difficulty. And it was just like, oh my gosh. And it probably came earlier than you're expecting. And just like all of this, all of this stuff. And I was just like, I'm terrible. Like I'm the worst. Like I have no value. All my older sisters felt the pressure of them. They're superstars and they're awesome. And I'm just the the outside of the, of the goodness of God even. And so that took a long time to recover and restore like that hurt and wound. Um, I don't know. What do you have to say? Well, yeah. I mean, a, a little context. I mean, it had to do with just dating and, and um, a, a girl that was um, involved in your life. And, you know, and then there was a breakup with her and then trying to get back and just trying to help navigate that relationship with you. Um, and it's interesting how, because that, you know, that you felt a lot of shame and that you felt like that we were coming down really hard on you. And, um, and I, I'm just curious what, what brought about the change in thinking, you know, when did you, there was a whole semester of that really. And then, um, uh, but over time things, and that's one of the things, even as, you know, it's not my, I don't look at it as our greatest parenting moment, but you know, that season, but yet today we have a great relationship, you know, the relationship oh. got restored, even though we didn't probably handle it. We, we needed to be, it was almost like we needed to be firm, but we didn't know how to do it in so many ways. And so, but yet I want to give parents hope that, you know, as the relationships getting, it got restored. So walk us down that path a little bit. Yeah, it was, um, I, I remember probably at the apex of our conflict, dad, um, I was coming, you picked me up in Waco because I spent the weekend. Oh, in I never will forget this ride. Oh, gosh. I spent the weekend in College Station, which I'll come back to in a second. Um, and dad met me in Waco. My sisters dropped me off in Waco and my dad picked me up in Waco. So hey, Waco was like two hours away from yes, here or yes. so. And my middle school self just gave dad the cold shoulder the entire time, the complete silent treatment. Two like, hours of absolute torture. Not even a word. Because I'm an extrovert. I love to talk, you know. And I just got back from a trip essentially. And yeah. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, never will forget it. And... Yeah, I was, I was over it, but 
that I like, I remember that distinctly because that started a healing process. Um, Cause as I was in really call it my funk, just like the season that I was in just a, a rough season um, for whatever reason, I skipped an entire week of school and my mom and dad sent me off to college station to live with Madeline for a week. Like, is that right? Yeah. It, was, yeah, it wasn't, it was a, it, it wasn't a, for whatever reason, what we were trying to do is he was in middle school and he was just caught up in this middle school world as middle school kids get, I mean, they just think, they think this is, this is life. This is it. This is all that it is. And so we were looking for opportunities to show him, oh, buddy, the world's so much bigger. It's so much bigger than middle school. You just, if you would just see how much bigger it is, see how much God's got, you know, for you out there. And so the girls had an incredible life in college station. They had what they were following God. They were in church, all those things. And so we knew that that would be a great environment to send him into so that he could see, oh, college life is bigger. I mean, another thing that we did, we, we also sent you on a mission trip yeah. because we wanted to get you outside of the parameters of even our country, you know, we wanted to get you. So we were trying to open your eyes up that this feels like a big deal right now. This feels like shame and guilt. This feels like you messed up minor major, but this is just a blip on the radar. This is so minor compared to everything that's going to happen in your life. And, and that's what we were trying to do is we were trying to break you out of that. So, yeah, so we packed you up. We sent you to the sisters who once again, worshiped and adored you and were willing to, you know, show you the a bigger world. And so anyway, I, I completely, forgot about that drive home and so i think i think the that's the answer to my to the question is like just if you can give your kid perspective like that's what snapped me out of a lot of it like perspective on life perspective on my situation i like look back at that time and laugh because like it's just it's just funny and it's hilarious to like see the way that i was acting and see um I was just so blinded by my sin and blinded by what was in front of me. And I think that's how the enemy wants to work. I think that he wants to, he wants to do that. But if we can just take a step back, get out of the situation that we are in and see things with a little bit like a clear view, a clear lens. That's why I think mission trips are, are so important. You should do whatever it takes to get your kid on a mission trip because they see a different perspective. They see things differently. They see people living differently. Um, and I think all of those things were, were crucial to the point of, I got sent off. I sent off. That's like, sounds like, like I went to like a camp. For like- <laughs> well, that was on the, the table. I mean, yeah. we were going to do whatever it took. I mean, first was a, little, a college, college week, then it was going to be, <laughs> then it was going to be, you know, the wilderness is what we were going to get. You to live in a tent out in the wilderness. Yeah. Use oh, leaves for toilet crazy. paper. Yeah. <laughs> but the perspective part. And then that was, I think that was seventh. I think that was eighth grade year. And then freshman year on mission trip to Dominican Republic, I remember just being like so frustrated because I was like, at that time I was starting to follow the Lord. At that time I was taking my faith a little bit more seriously. I was out of that whole funk that I was in in middle school. And I was just like, heard about this thing. And as I was going to church, heard about like people being able to hear the voice of God and listen to him speak. And I just couldn't do it. Like, I was just like, this is not happening. I'm sitting and waiting and listening and trying. And it's like, there's nothing happening that is going on. And I like, remember the first time very clearly, the Lord is just like, Michael, right now you see me like you see your earthly father. And at that point in my life, I did not see you very in good light. I, like, <laughs> I, do, I don't want to follow that. Like if I'm going to dedicate my life to a God in Jesus, 
and I'm seeing him as my earthly father at the time, that was not what I wanted. I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And I remember praying with you because you're on that trip, Suze, um, and just like repenting and changing my perspective of my earthly father and understanding that my heavenly father um, is perfect in every way. And that that is something that it's worth committing my life to. And that just changed a lot of the things. And I like came back from that mission trip. And this is, I think, I've, I don't know if I've told the story on this podcast or not. I've only been on a couple of times, so probably not. Um, but I remember being outside shooting hoops late one night, like <laughs> late one night, like 11 o'clock after church or something like that. And I was just like shooting, messing around, talking with the Lord, just processing a lot of things. And it's like, after like 1130, maybe 1145. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm ready to tell my dad some things that I'm frustrated with. I'm ready to like start this reconciliation process because granted at this time, my dad's been pursuing me the whole time and I've been resisting, but my dad's been pursuing the whole time. And I'm like, no, not going to happen. Now I'm, I'm, in charge. I'm in charge. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm only going to play on my, my terms. Um, and it's 1145 or so. And I was like, okay, if my dad comes out here, he's already in bed, all the lights off are in the house. If my dad comes out here and starts shooting hoops with me, I'll like, maybe I'll talk to him, but like, you have to get him out here, dad, or you have to get him out here, God. And like, I kid you not, like two seconds later, I hear the door open and he walks out and I'm just like, oh, oh my gosh. I'm like, are you serious? I remember that night too. This is not, yeah. this is not cool. But I think that was actually the start of a lot of processing of our relationship starting to mend was a lot of work on my back end that was just like wrestling with the Lord, trying to hear his voice, pursuing him, that he eventually led me to reconciliation, reconciliation with my earthly father, you on yeah um, <laughs> well and i think that there's so there's a couple of things you know look at the time frame that we're talking about end of seventh grade year all the way through eighth grade year going into ninth grade year um you know i remember back in the eighth grade year it might have been so anyway i had given you a journal and said hey michael when you just write down your thoughts and i, I really wanted it to be as if you can't talk to me write it down and uh, you never gave it to me, but until months later, we looked at the journal and you had actually used it to write things down in there. And it was so angry. <laughs> I mean, there was just, you know, I hate life. It's just, it was so. I think I still have that. And it was amazing to me to read it. It made me cry too. But I mean, it was like, because, and, and parents, you know, just what do we take out of that? You know, and, and I, I want to get into the sibling relationships too, because I think there's some great things to unpack there. Um, because, you know, we, we, Michael said, we kept pursuing him. We tried to change his thinking, open his world up a little bit. And, but it, sometimes it takes a long time. I mean, you know, you and I just sat down last night, had a, just a heck of a discussion about life as we do a lot now, but literally sometimes those relationships take years to pursue, to get the breakthrough that God wants for you. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think those are, you know, sometimes a parent, you may be a parent in the middle of the difficult season. It may be with a five-year-old, it may be with an eight-year-old, maybe with a 14-year-old, whatever it is, man, there's always hope if you'll keep pursuing. Uh, I was just at breakfast this morning with a, uh, a man who his daughter had been estranged from him for 20 years. And, and when her daughter, when his daughter got married and when they had a baby is now they are reconciled. And he was just he was rejoicing in the relationship that he had pursued for 20 years. Uh, don't give up hope, parents. You know, is, is really what comes out, out of that. Yeah. Hey, you, you've also um, 
Oh, go ahead, Suzanne, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that before you transition to the siblings or whatever, I just wanted to do that 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 mother-son relationship too, Michael. I want to press into that because you talked so much about the the father being an influence and the, the that season with you and dad, but even um, mothers to sons, what would what what would be your advice to moms on how to connect with their sons, especially when they're going through those those growth times when the, the, I mean, there is a disconnect. And so, and I just want to say my point, and then I just want you to answer that. But I wanted to give you a couple seconds to think about it. What would you say to moms to connect to their sons? But um, there was a couple things that I remember in those middle school years. I remember totally having Michael's heart and totally getting him. Like I got him. I understood him. I knew what to say to him, to draw him out. I knew when to give him space. I knew when to let him to be independent. I knew that until middle school hit. And then it felt like everything was turned upside down and I didn't get it anymore. And I remember Michael basically helping me through that to stay connected to him or be connected or even let me disconnect a little bit. And one of the things that you did, Michael, is I remember you telling me, mom, I don't want to do, I don't want to do face to face. I want to do shoulder to shoulder, like, or I want to be doing something. And so I remember us sitting there playing checkers so we could have a conversation. Or I remember getting in the car and talking because boys, young men don't want that face to face come at me. I mean, and then I learned later that actually men don't either women, (laughs) when you're talking to your husband, they don't want you coming at him, you know, if you're anyway. And so what's something else that you can tell moms as they're trying to connect to their sons, as their sons are trying to grow up? and and not be a mama's boy and all of that yeah yeah I think that is something that I will I I still do especially with other guys is that you don't just like go get coffee with another guy like (laughs) you go shoot hoops or you like go play video games or you like you're you're just doing you're doing something and for whatever reason when our hands are moving or it's easier for our mouths to move also. Like, I don't, mm. I don't understand it. I don't know why but that is just how men operate and work. You want to get a guy to talk to you, do something. Um, I think, I think that, yeah, that is, that is crucial and important. Um, I would say moms, I would say just ask so many questions to the point where you will, you are, you will be annoying. (laughs) Like it, it is true that we are, you're very defensive and we, I won't personally just tell everything the first question. Like I, I'm almost playing a game, which even in my relationship right now is tough working with people. It's like, I'm just like kind of testing you. It's like, oh, you asked me once I gave you a short response. It's like, how much do you really want to know? Like, okay, you ask another question. Okay, you want to know a little bit more. Then I like give another, like a little bit longer response, but still kind of a short response. You ask a third time. I'm like, okay, they actually want to know. Okay, here it is. Like, unfortunately, sometimes it takes three times. Sometimes it takes 600 times. Like, I don't, I don't really know how long it's going to take. But as a, as a mom, it was helpful whenever you were like, okay, but that's not all. Like, what else is there? And just kind of like continue to press in. And Mackenzie, my oldest, older sister right above me does it really well too. Um, and there's so many times that I like was literally offensive to her. Like I like literally called her names to her face and she still was like, okay, but well, like what else? Like, well, like <laughs> <laughs> what else do you want to call me? <laughs> yeah. just like killed me with kindness completely. Um, and then just affirming 
all the time, especially with, as a mom of like, Hey, I want the best for you. Like, I, I want, the, like, I'm not here like a, to be the bad parent. I want the best for you. Um, I'm trying to help you. We're on the same team. Just like affirming that just shifts things from, okay, my mom is just someone who's like telling me what I can and can't do to like this like headbutting relationship to being like, oh, wait, maybe she does want the best for me. It just takes a while for me to realize that because they're middle schoolers. Like, what if they don't, it's like, <laughs> they're not going to know what's best for them. Um, and so those are, those are a few things of like, you're going gonna to have to have some tough skin working with guys. They're a little different than girls. And the fact yeah. that they're not just going to come home and tell you everything about their day. <laughs> That's um, good. I wish we could. For, I really do. Like, I really wish that that was just easier to just talk about everything like that, but it's not, it's really hard. Um, yeah. That's good. I love that. I love that advice. I love that to, to pursue, to ask questions, to validate, to affirm, to be kind. I love that. All that moms. I think a lot of the times we lose our self-control or we lose our patience with our sons, but if we are kind to them, then we will open them up. And so that's good. Okay, Don, I interrupted you. So back to you. No, no, no. I just think it's a, and again, it's a long-term game parents, you know, a lot of things we're talking about with, with Michael and, and really this also happened with um, some sibling relationships, particularly with your little brother Maddox, you know, there was some, definitely some oil and water, uh, uh, some personality differences and that fives coming out of you, the frustration with him um, you know, kind of describe your, and, and yet a friendship as well. So, you know, in, in a, uh, describe your relationship with him growing up and McKay for that matter. The, so Maddox and McKay are the next two in line. Yeah. I think anybody, uh, anybody would be mad whenever you have five girls worshiping and adoring everything that you do. And then another when one, you were on the throne. Um, yeah, I was on the throne. That's a good way of putting it. And then this little kid comes on and, and dethrones me completely just because he's a baby. Like, <laughs> and he's a really cute baby yeah, too. And he hadn't done a thing. <laughs> yeah, and so that, I think, I think deep down, that was probably the main issue. I was just like, who is, who is this intruder, this other male figure coming in and like, this is my territory. Like, what is, what is happening here? Um, and so. The, so you wouldn't say that you embraced him? No, I did not welcome him. I did not feel like I welcomed him. Uh, I think if he had been a sister, the dynamic would have been radically different because I think sure. Michael would have totally would have stepped into that big brother role as a protector sister. But when Maddox came in, it became competition. <laughs> yeah, I would have loved a little sister for sure. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, but I mean, God I knew what he was doing by giving you little brothers. Definitely. I wouldn't trade anything for the world right now. Um, Maddox is going to be a freshman at the University of Arkansas, which I'm, I'm going to my senior year right now. And it's like literally the highlight of my life. Like I cannot wait for him to be up there with me. We're going to be um, just in the same season again. And it's going to be awesome. I am, am going, <laughs> I'm going um, with sorry anyways sorry we went um sorry i'm losing it <laughs> i just can't i'm sending maddox off and i'm so excited that i'm sending him with michael and michael's 
going to step into the role of the big brother at a level that he's never done it before. And it's going to be amazing. So I'm over here bawling. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, pull it together, mom, terribly. pull it together, mom. <laughs> yeah. It's a month away. We're going to miss him terribly. Oh yeah. You know, but, but really when y'all were growing up, different personality styles and th- different, we, we, Maddox can't figure out what Enneagram number he is, which is really funny, but, um, but, you know, very different personality styles and, and you kind of, you know, you kind of ran over him a little bit in your jealousy and, you know, and, and, but yet, you know, kind of talk about that. And then when things started to turn. Yeah, there was, um, there's no way, there's no way he could win in anything. <laughs> I was competing in. You're bigger, stronger, smarter. <laughs> yeah. And like, and threatened by him too. A little bit. Yeah. And, and thinking back on it, it was like, why did I want to play him? Why do I want to play against him in sport? I had nothing to win. Like, if I win, okay, great. The older brother wins. But if he wins, yeah, he's the little brother that beat the older brother. Yeah. Like he wins everything. But if like, and if he loses, <laughs> nothing happens because he just lost to his older brother. I was just like, that was not even like smart for me to even play him because of the risk to reward ratio is not worth it. But we butted heads a lot all the time. I, I honestly saw him as pretty, pretty frustrating, pretty annoying, not for anything specific that he did. Like, I guarantee you if he made a joke and then my friend, like I wouldn't laugh. And if my friend made the exact same joke later, I would laugh at that. Like it was just like who he was. It wasn't anything that he was doing that um, made me annoyed. And the entire time throughout our relationship, this, this made me mad. If we go back to what y'all did that made me frustrated (laughs) is that y'all would (laughs) say all the time that y'all would be best friends, like siblings are best friends. Like you just said that since I was, four years old and he came along and he was like, you just wait one day, you and Max are going to be best friends. And my like nearsighted seven-year-old self was like, my parents are stupid. Like there is no way that we are ever going to be best friends. This is my arch nemesis right now. Like this is not going to happen. And, and as I got older in high school, like I think it was around like soft, my sophomore, my junior year, um, just, stuff started changing. We started spending more time together. We started going to church together. We were in car rides together. He was playing basketball and started connecting on a little bit more things. Started having similar interests and comments. We started asking a little bit more questions and like to the point now where like he really is one of my, one of my best friends and he is really one of my favorite people to spend time with. And if you, you need to listen, he's on next. He's, he's, he's on, on next podcast. Next. He is wise beyond his absolute years and he's an incredibly deep thinker and he's unique and quirky and hilarious and Mm -hmm. loves deep conversation and somebody that will tell me exactly how it is to my face and not care about like how I think or what I think he's just like yeah I think you're wrong (laughs) you can't tell me that like I'm not wrong and then he's like yeah you are and here's why and I'm like you're right what the heck (laughs) um but even that relationship, like we like to talk about perspective and timeline of, it took a long time, it took a very, very long time. Um, and it was tough and painful and hard in the beginning years. And now it's the sweetest relationship in my life. Yeah. And, and part of that parents is just that fight to keep brainwashing your kids, so to speak, that they will be best friends and, 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 inst- and helping them instill that belief. Um, and, and some of that too came from your, um, and before I would go to that, Suzanne, do you have anything to comment on that? 
comment on them being best friends as well just they're growing up and and you know and some of the frustrations with that um no because <laughs> I, no, I had something that I, we were going to go somewhere else with it. So just go with your question. Yeah, I mean, I just remember it being a frustrating for us as parents because it, it was, it was like, I didn't feel like that Maddox could win. And even McKay too, to some extent that there was, you know, that, that there was a, a judgment on them and trying to figure out how to navigate that. You know, uh, one of the things in, you know, we talk about is to, you know, inspiring your kids that, you know, one of the things we did try to do, I think that did have impact over time is, hey, do you realize what that, what that's doing to your brother, you know, and and, and because I don't think you really wanted to hurt him, but it was just getting over your own annoyance with him, right? Yeah, definitely. It's funny, because, like, if I was hanging out with all my friends, and he'd want to hang out, and I would like, say something growing up to like cut him down and he would be sad and then one of my friends would say something to like add on to that and cut him down I was like hey buddy you can't you can't speak to my little brother like that like like, this weird duality (laughs) it was there yeah yeah he's like still my brother and there's still like ownership that I think was a a root of what y'all spoke into life of like he's still he's still family um but yeah yeah and, just, well, and I just was going to, the, the thing I was thinking of, um, anyway, is uh, that it goes back to that perspective that Michael had a uh, perspective of how it should be. And then when God gave him two little brothers, he had to get on board with God's plan. And as soon as he got on board with God's plan, then everything was great. And I think a lot of the times our kids have an idea of how it could be, should be, will be. And when it's not, I mean, not even little kids, all of us, when we all are that way, but when we accept God's plan for it. And I remember that one of the breakthroughs was Michael, when when Michael has had a hard time sleeping pretty much ever since he was born. Um, And when he was, I don't even remember how old you were, but well, when McCade was one, um, so whenever, however old you were when McCade was one, I remember putting all three of the boys in the same room, a bunk bed and a, and a crib all in the same room. And that to me was the beginning of them, of Michael accepting his little brothers as people that God has put in his life. Because Michael didn't like going to bed, but when he was in that room with those two little brothers, then he had a role and a purpose. He was the big brothers. He was going to take care of them. He was going to. And so there was a season there that he had a purpose. And so I just want to talk to parents that as you have siblings that have relationships that are not um, flowing peacefully, then continue to put the kids together in opportunities, buy them a Lego set to play with together, buy them. I remember we did the Wii game so y'all could play those together or the video games or anytime y'all wanted to buy a game where y'all could play it together, like the NBA, whatever, the basketball, whatever. I'm like, yes. And so we would invest in things that would put you guys together to play with, to live together, to do things together. Um, y'all were too far apart to play the sports on the same sports teams, but the girls were like Madeline and Macy played on the same sports team. So anything you can do to get them together, that's what we would do. Yeah. And I want to kind of end the podcast with, um, I want to explore like, you know, your relationship with God, particularly, you know, you, you were talking about how you felt like the black sheep and all those, and, and you know, during that, you know, your middle school years, we talked to parents a lot about how you're, you know, you're in the middle school years and as they go into high school, 
getting your kids to own their own faith and to challenge, you know, when they challenge us with questions, what do we do with them? Um, kind of walk us through your belief process. You've already mentioned a little bit, seventh through ninth grade, maybe even going into high school. What's your belief journey? Yeah, I think the, I think mission trips played a big role. Um, they played pretty, I wouldn't even call them mission trip. I would just call like mission trips or experiences where I was pushed out of my comfort zone, whatever that looks like. Like what hub are, camp. Remember that year you went to hub camp? I mean, yeah, every, every church camp that we went to, um, things that it was just like, okay, here's your circumstance that you're in. Let's just take you completely out and drop you in somewhere else. Um, in fact, that was actually the, the source of the major conflict that we had was you were dating the girl and then you went to hub camp, had a spiritual experience and uh, decided to break up with her mm-hmm. and then went back to school that year. And you said, no, I'm going to get right. back with her. And that's when I put my foot down and I said, no, you've heard God's voice. God, God said, God said <laughs> at hub camp that you were supposed to break up with her. And that's when you got really frustrated with me. So parents, what my point to that is, 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 uh, you know, there's all these ups and downs with the belief process, especially through the middle school years, right? Because yeah. you went there, got that experience, got back to school, got in that environment and saw her again. It was like, oh, now that's overpowered my right. God experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of plays into a, another factor is during that season, whenever my dad was trying to tell me that stuff. There's key other male role models that played huge parts in my life. Um, I, I remember one of uh, youth pastors that we had just like pull me in for lunch one time and was like, hey, let me just tell you my entire story. And he was like, I'm just gonna tell you everything and just like walk through in excruciating detail, uncomfortably amount of detail, like his whole journey with in high school and middle school and then where he is now and like I remember being like so sick to my stomach I didn't even eat lunch that day and it was just like he is someone that like called me higher and called me um out of the perspective that I was out of the circumstances that I was in when I was blinded to reality and there's a few other that I can I can name if, if Dave Schreiner or Rob Shields is listening to this podcast like the amount of impact that they've spoken into my life and the amount of challenge that they've given me and 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 leadership opportunities and responsibilities like that solidified a lot of my journey too where I was like okay I know my parents believe in me like that yeah they should they have to their blood but there's people outside there's male figures outside that I respect and value that are also calling me out higher and I think that was another huge part of my journey and these guys are both part of our local church, mm-hmm. you know, that had, that, that chose to invest in you, you know, that, and, and, and you sought them out through, it was one through, it was through youth group. Yeah. through Yeah. <clears throat> and through uh, so, you know, the, again, here comes that involvement in the local church. If, you know, the church didn't do it, but there was a connection made through the church that really had a, and the church did do it in some ways, but it was really <laughs> a connection with that older guy. And, um, and then, you know, you said mission trips. Um, do you remember a time when you were like, oh, okay, I, I think I'm going to follow this, uh, this God, you know, I'm going to, 
or was it kind of a gradual thing over time? Um, I think it was, I think it was more gradual. I don't think I can point back to a certain, I can point back to memories or encounters of the Lord for sure that feel like it was solidifying and taking, taking me from like glory to glory, but I don't, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a journey. It's a process. It was baptized very, very early. Um, and then it just like slowly, but surely clicked. Like I remember going to youth group for the first time, not wanting to go at all and continue, what grade? Uh, freshman year, yeah. just about probably. Yeah. Summer of freshman year. Right. When I like can go to the high school, with the high schoolers and not wanting to go at all, kind of frustrated, pretty distant from the Lord. And just like literally sitting there during worship, and just like reading the words on the screen, wasn't singing, wasn't participating, didn't want to do anything, but I was just like being exposed to it and reading the words on the screen and being like, okay, there's something here. Someone, some people are encountering something here that I'm, that's interesting. And then coming next week and then coming the week after and then coming the week after and like, sure enough, I've been encountering the Lord every week and listening to a sermon and, and, and participating in conversation and the amount of walls that I built up didn't just come all crumbling down at one time. Like it was just like a slow chisel from people, from the Lord, from worship, from encounters, from groups, from discussions. And that eventually was like, okay, here I am. Yeah. Like, Lord, what do you want to do now? And a big influence from your, from Mackenzie again, you know, just pursuing you as an older sister, you know, I, I just amazed. I always, I've told this story many times to people, but Mackenzie was a junior and Michael was in eighth grade and McKenzie pursued him. You know, Michael even said he called her name sometimes when she'd come by his room, yep. just a um, persistent uh, pursuit of Michael wound up having a dramatic impact in your life as she just kept inviting you in with her friends, Yeah, which is crazy for a junior in high school to do that. Yeah, and it was funny because it's like so opposite. Like usually an eighth grader or a freshman would do anything to hang out with upperclassmen. Like, and Kenzie would be like, you want to come hang out with me, my friends? And I was like, no, Mackenzie, stop talking to me. Like, just get away from me. She's like, okay. And the next time she'd come and do the same thing. Hey, Michael, you want to come hang out with me, my friends? And I like, I probably, probably rejected her like upwards of a hundred times. Like no joke for almost a full year straight until eventually she was persistent enough where I was like, fine, Mackenzie, I will come, but only if you never ask me again <laughs> and I came and I went and not only was she pursuing me on like face to face on my end, but she also had everybody in the youth group, like praying for me to come and telling people about me. So when I walked into the youth group for the first time, it was like, I'd been there for years. People mm. were like, Oh my gosh, you're Michael Manning. I've heard you're so famous. much about you. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. To the point where I was like, I could care less about God at that time. Um, the timeline is right. I was just not in a great place with the Lord and didn't come back to, I went to youth the next week because I was like, I don't really care about the worship and the message that's going on, but the way that I felt from the people that were there mm -hmm. unmatched. I was like, that was like a breath of fresh air. That was like water in the middle of a desert. I have to be a part of that. And that's why I started coming back week after week. And during those times, that's when I was reading the words on the worship screen. That's when I was listening to the message and just kind of being exposed to it and activating thoughts. Until eventually I look up and it's sophomore year and I'm leading the group. And junior year, we're multiplying the group. And senior year, we're passing off the group. And it's just like the Lord works in the day-to-day. 
Well, and you were talking about before how uh, learning to hear God's voice when you were a freshman and, you know, just thinking that's strange and nobody can do that. And then, and yet, you know, by the end of your sophomore year, uh, you were coming to us saying, I really have heard God's voice and I have a radical change in my life in following the Lord. So explain that a little bit as we, um, you know, go forward here. Yeah. Um, into my sophomore year, I uh, decided to leave the traditional high school system and do what a lot of people are doing now, uh, do like dual credit classes for my junior and senior year. At a junior college? At a junior college. And so it wasn't wasn't in school. I wasn't in a high school anymore. I was essentially doing college as a junior in high school. So I had college classes, classes Tuesday, Thursday, college schedule, started to work a little bit. Um, really with the, em- the emphasis of getting involved in the same church that welcomed me in two years before. Um, but let me set that up a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to set that up a little bit more. End of his sophomore year, Michael's at a, a, a a very good Christian school. He's uh, a linebacker on the football team. Made a hundred tackles his sophomore year. Has a has the varsity, a, the varsity football. Varsity football. Team. He was playing JV and varsity. He was the leader in the school. He would yes. have been class president, homecoming I king. Know. I mean, all the it was it was laid out for him because of the call in his life that God had given him to be a leader, and he can't help but lead wherever he is. And so and all those things played into it. He had this beautiful, beautiful system set up for him, if you will, that he could be a huge success in. And and comes to and comes to us and says, "I think I want to quit high school and go to NCTC for junior college." And and I'm like. Really, really, this is what <laughs> the some things that died and dawned because we yeah. liked being in the we liked being in the stands hearing Michael Manning with the touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and uh, just you know, I said, do you realize, Michael, that there's about a million high school boys who would kill for the opportunity you have the next couple of years? And um, but you know, as as parents, are we going to let him hear God's voice? Are we going to let him step out in faith? You know, and so we we just processed it with him. And one, uh, one of the things that Don said, which you guys will remember, is Don said, You're walking away from a million dollar deal. So you just need to make sure that you're going after a two million dollar deal. I mean, and what was so cool is that he was walking away from a worldly million dollar deal, but he was walking toward a multi-million dollar kingdom deal. Yeah. I mean, and even his parents, we had a hard time seeing that clearly. But as he as Michael walked it and did it and pursued the Lord and led for the Lord and not for the football team, it it did multiply. It was a multi-million dollar experience that you got to have and lead and do when it came to kingdom things yeah and it matured you a lot and got you saw and just tell us about that experience of a couple of years how that grew your faith when you did something radically different yeah it is uh definitely a the biggest transition i've had in, in my life until now um and you just when the Lord speaks, he speaks and it's soft and it's, and it's quiet, but it's also Fine. something that you are beyond sure of. And that was the situation I was in where I was like, listen, mom, dad, 
I respect your authority. I respect the position that you're in. We're sitting outside in Chipotle, the best place ever. And <laughs> like, I feel like the Lord's moving me away from this. And I don't understand why. And I'm not asking you to understand why. But this is where I think the Lord has me in this next season. And yeah, it was awesome. It was very hard. <laughs> it was very, very hard. And even, even to this day, it's still hard to go back to high school games or watch high school movies, like whatever that looks like, just because there's, I miss it. I loved football so much. And, but I, I want, I want to, I want to shake up the kingdom. Like I want to, I want to shake up eternity. And I felt like that's what the Lord is calling me where I didn't have necessarily time to get involved in the Valley Creek the way that I wanted to, to get involved in my local church the way that I wanted to. And looking back on it now, I don't know who I would have been if I spent the next two years in high school. Like, I, I really don't know where, what trajectory I would have been on, but I'm glad that the Lord has provided and taken care of me from just simply obeying his voice back then. Um, and so it was a, it was a cool experience and I felt supported. I feel supported now back then because I was just like, it wasn't, y'all saying no, didn't really feel like an option in my brain. <laughs> Whenever I was like presenting it to you, I was like, this is kind of what's happening. I'm sorry. Like, I think I would have, if y'all like made me go to Liberty, I think I would have done it, but I was like, just really confident looking back on it now. I'm like, yeah, y'all did a very good job in supporting me and caring for me and like letting me like step out on this leap of faith. Um, but also the Lord's plan is just so much better than ours. Like we can put out our five-year plan and cast vision and the Lord can change it like that. And there's so many ways that I grew ways that other people grew just in those seasons that I got involved in Valley Creek that wouldn't trade for the world, wouldn't trade for the world by any means. Well, um, Suzanne, any final comments as we wrap up? I mean, what, um, what are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. And so just as my, my last closing comment is that, you know, parents, as you, you know, raise a, a if you have a, a child like Michael, that is independent, that is uh, introvert, that um, is, uh, has that competitive edge, that's got a crazy leadership call on their lives then the, the sooner you can point them toward God and then the sooner you can come along beside them um, asking those questions, being kind, investing in them, affirming them, all of those things, then you are just raising up a mighty warrior for the kingdom. I mean, we just feel it. It's been an honor to raise Michael. <laughs> it's been so much fun. We've enjoyed him and we look back over that little time period and I'm glad that you shared it and I'm glad that, you know, that people don't see us as queaky clean and we've got it all together and stuff like that. Wow. But it's, it's just part of, it's part of life. It's part of the journey. It's like Don always says, it's the family is the, it's the long game and it's, and it's, and it's over time. It's the journey that it's what it's all about. It's the journey toward Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you parents to just continue to press into those little boys. Um, to know them well, daddies continue to, to call out the man of them and mamas continue to, um, to love them well. Um, and you will have a mighty man of God on your hands in no time. Yeah. I don't know about in no time. It's a, like, it's a long-term game. It really is. Yes, I know. But in no time in that we look up and Michael's 22, it's yeah, over, yeah, it's done. Yeah, it's, it's in no yeah. time. I mean, you look back yeah. and it's like, you're, over you're up to your right? eyeballs and all this stuff <laughs> and then it's over. And it's just the theme I keep out of this podcast and is, is it's a long-term game. You know, we look at 
you know, I look at the, the struggles we looked at, you know, when Michael and Maddox were fighting or Michael and McCade were fighting or when, um, you know, Michael and I are fighting and we just kept fighting the good fight and it, it and God redeems it, you know, and uh, kept pursuing the relationships and helping our the, you to pursue the relationship with your siblings and, and breakthroughs happen. And so, uh, man, thanks for being here with us, Michael. Hey, Michael, is there anything you want to say to parents that are raising a kid like you? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Um, yeah, I think, I think men in particular, firstborn men, all men in the family um, have a desire to be challenged, be called higher. Um, and in our natural state, we will reject it and we will get frustrated with it. But it's one of those things that perspective and time tells all things. And it's challenging to go against whenever you know what's best for your child, you do know what's best. Most likely, like you really do know what's best, mm -hmm. especially in the little ages and communicating that from a place of community and a place of like, we're on the same team. I want what's best for you. Here's why, and explaining the why. Um, I think it's crucial for, uh, especially a five, if, if you are a five, um, or just someone who's a little bit more introverted, a little bit more deep thinker is they always have thoughts going on and it just takes questions and it takes a lot of questions and it takes a lot of like chiseling away at the walls to let it come down. But once it does, it's really sweet. Um, I think fives are the best people to be in a relationship with if you can do it. <laughs> if you can do it, but I'm a little biased. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so parents, in the wisdom of Michael, good luck raising your firstborn son. <laughs> Uh, no, you got just, this. Yeah, you you're got equipped. this. And, and I really just want to speak to you. I feel like the Lord just, if, if you're a parent in the middle of the situation right now where your middle schooler is just in the middle of being a punk, as Michael called himself, or, you know, you've got sibling issues, relationships, just uh, keep persevering. Keep going. Keep going because if you pursue it right, there's hope and, and the relationships will we'll have breakthrough. So um, thanks again, Michael. And as always, parents go be crazy with your parenting, crazycoolfamily.com.